Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Sarah Thompson, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. Bispecific antibodies are part of novel approaches in immuno-oncology to treat hematologic malignancies, including leukemias, lymphomas, and multiple myeloma. These medications contain two distinct domains that work synergistically to enhance immune cells that then target cancer cells. This enhancement also increases immune-related adverse effects, including cytokine release syndrome, immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity, tumor flare, and infections. Let's learn from pharmacist Jenna Putkamer how to monitor, identify, and manage the adverse effects from bispecific antibodies. So the evolution of anti-cancer medications is exploding. However, um, the challenge of balancing toxicities and efficacy continues. Medications have been developed that allow us to harness the immune system to ultimately fight difficult to treat malignancies. However, this doesn't come without its own risk and sometimes the drugs do bite back. Today, we'll be discussing bispecific T-cell engaging therapies. We'll be specifically focusing on the overall infection and toxicity management. But with this, I first want to describe the mechanisms and the efficacy of our biospecific therapies and further discuss the etiology of our biospecific toxicities, adverse effects, as well as a focus on infections. And finally, we will apply what we have learned today to design a supportive care plan through a patient case to ultimately prevent and manage biospecific related toxicities. Now, anti-cancer anti therapies have come a long way with immunotherapies as a vital tool. Uh, immuno-oncology is the study and the treatment of cancer using an immune-mediated process. The first bispecific antibody was FDA approved in 2014. And since then, we have seen an influx into the market and there are currently over a hundred in the pipeline. Bispecific antibodies are similar to the well-known monoclonal antibodies as they utilize a uh, antibody base or fragment to facilitate immune cell engagement to ultimately fight cancer. However, bispecifics have two unique antigen binding sites that allow them to interact with cancer cells as well as immune cells. And for this case, we'll be focusing on specifically T-cell engagers. Now, when we harness the immune system, there are implications to this. Uh, with other T-cell engagers, as well as bispecifics, we have seen uh, incidents of two uh, potential ca potentially catastrophic toxicities. These include cytokine release syndrome, or CRS, as well as immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome, or ICANS, as we'll refer to for the remainder of today. Uh, there are uh, uh, risk mitigation strategies that we can utilize, and when using these, we can help reduce the incidence of the catastrophic events of ICANS and CRS. Some of these strategies include modification of dosing, or, or excuse me, step-up dosing. For example, with teclistimab that we use in multiple myeloma, we can start out at 0.06 milligrams per kilogram on the first day, 
And then on the fourth day, we would then increase to a point uh, six mil or point three milligrams per kilogram. And then on our seventh day, achieve our treatment dose. Starting on our first day, this is a fiftieth, a one over fiftieth uh, reduction of dose. And this is uh, this dosing strategy is used with all of our biospecifics, uh, as there is some variation among the agents. We also can utilize various monitoring strategies, as this is specific to our institutions and the resources that are available, whether this is inpatient versus outpatient, and the overall grade of our CRS and ICANS. And then some of our uh, agents within, um, uh, some of our bispecifics do utilize the REMS program. These are our three agents within the multiple myeloma space. Since 2014, these are the T-cell engaging therapies that have been FDA approved. For the purpose of today, we will be fo focusing on those that are approved for leukemia, lymphoma, and multiple myeloma. Before diving into our toxicity managements, I really want to give a high-level overview of our biospecifics that we will be discussing. So starting with blinitumab. Blinitumab is, you may know it for its trademark name, Bite. This is the only biospecific antibody that carries this trademark. Uh, it is FDA approved in acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL, for CD19 positive disease. It is a CD19 targeted biospecific antibody and, uh, and carries the approval for uh, relapse and refractory disease in adults. Recently, it also gained the FDA approval for MRD positive in adults, which is minimal residual disease. And then most recently, it, it is now approved for the use of pediatrics with MRD positive disease. But for the focus of today, we'll be, uh, or for the purpose of today, we'll be focusing on the use in adults. Now, blinitumab has shown to be efficacious for treating both relapsed refractory disease as well as in consolidation. We have seen improval in survival outcomes as well as duration of response uh, in relapsed refractory as compared to our standard chemotherapy, as well as uh, favorable results in uh, MRD positive disease as, as seen in both the TOWER and the BLAST trial. The adverse effects of blinitumab uh, in leukemia are in, include CRS, as well as neurologic toxicity, myelosuppression, and infection. To note, there is an elevated uh, neurologic uh, toxicity event that we will discuss moving forward. But keep in mind, blinitumab was studied prior to the time that ICANS was termed with bispecifics. So this, is, this encompasses not only ICANS, but all other CNS depression events. Moving forward to multiple, multiple myeloma, there are three agents that are FDA approved. This is teclistamab, elranatumab, and telquetamab. <laughs> teclistamab and elranatumab are both BCMA-directed therapies, while telquetamab is the only G-protein-coupled receptor 5D-targeted therapy. Teclistamab um, and uh, elranatumab and telquetamab are all FDA approved for relapse and refractory multiple myeloma after the patient has failed at least four prior lines. Uh, of these lines, they must have included a proteasome inhibitor, an anti-CD38, as well as an immunomodulatory, immunomodulatory therapy, or as we like to call them, IMIDs. Multiple myeloma can be a difficult-to-treat disease, and it is incurable, and patients may move through many treatment lines. Uh, Bispecifics have offered an, another option for these patients that have uh, become relapsed or refractory, and they have shown to be both efficacious as well as have a very durable response in our patients with disease. 
All three of these agents have had impressive overall response rates of close to 70% in some cases, as well as uh, prolonged uh, progression-free survival and uh, impressive duration of response results. Moving forward to our toxicities that we see with our biospecifics in multiple myeloma, we also see an incidence of CRS, ICANS, myelosuppression, as well as infection. Now, you, unique to telquetumab, we also do see skin, nail, and oral toxicities, as this is due to targeting the G-protein-coupled receptor 5D, um, which is an off-target, on-target effect. Uh, because of the oral toxicity, we also do see an incidence of uh, weight loss that occurs in roughly 30% of all of our patients. So moving to our last disease that we will be covering, lymphoma, um, epcritimab and glofitimab are FDA approved in uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Epcritimab is the only bispecific that is FDA approved in high-grade disease. And this is important to note because uh, high-grade lymphoma can be very difficult to treat and has poor outcomes. Uh, Mosinatunizumab is FDA approved for relapse and refractory follicular lymphoma. And all these agents are CD20-directed therapies. Our bispecifics within uh, lymphoma have also shown favorable, favorable responses with overall response rates similarly to our, um, similarly to our multiple Y agents that are roughly 70%. They have also had impressive progression-free survival rates as well as duration of response. Our adverse effects of our bispecifics within the lymphoma space are also similar to our previous bispecifics that we have already discussed, as we do see elevated rates of CRS, ICANS, myelosuppression, infection, but unique to lymphoma, we also see rates of tumor lysis syndrome as well as tumor flare that we will discuss coming forward. So this brings us to our first patient case where we can apply what we have learned as we did our high-level overview of our bispecific agents. So AC is a 57-year-old male with relapsed um, IgG kappa multiple myeloma. He has already failed four lines of therapy. An initial plan was made um, by his team to pursue CAR-T therapy. However, due to rapid progression, uh, his team decides that they would like to pursue uh, treatment with a bispecific with telquetumab. His team asks you if he qualifies. Mm -hmm. So feel free to refer to your poll everywhere. And, and it looks like we have a unanimous uh, decision for B, which is correct, a proteasome inhibitor, a major modulatory therapy, as well as anti-CD38. Um, that is correct. These are all, these, but all three of these agents are required to be utilized prior to starting uh, bispecific within multiple myeloma. This is consistent with actually all three of our agents as we previously discussed, and patients must have re already received four lines of therapy. Uh, a is incorrect because this is a protease inhibitor, which is an antiviral. C is incorrect as autologous stem cell transplant is not um, excluded as an option, or, or patients uh, are not required to have utilized uh, cellular therapy, including an autologous stem cell transplants or even CAR-T prior to using a bispecific. And four is incorrect, or sorry, D is incorrect for the reasons that we listed previously. So moving forward to our toxicities of our T-cell engagers, let's first, uh, let's dig into these a little bit further, starting on CRS and ICANS. Now, CRS is an overwhelming immune um, inflammatory response that that ultimately is the result of uh, a massive release of cytokines throughout the body. This is an on-target effect of our T-cell engagers and results in the release of our cytokines that includes our interference, our interleukins, as well as our tumor necrosis factors. 
However, the key cytokine that is the driver of CRS is suspected to be interleukin-6. Um, keep in mind that as we move forward, a lot of the data that we have with CRS and ICANS has been extrapolated from CAR-T data. Um, and so a lot of our, even our treatment methods are, have been extrapolated uh, in the bispecific realm. So IL-6 uh, has been seen to be highly elevated in patients with CRS receiving CAR-T, which uh, leads us to suspicion that this is, also, this is driving CRS in bispecific therapies as well. Now, being able to target the cytokines is a, is a, gives us an option to treat CRS. Um, this may include steroids to ultimately mitigate cytokine production to really dampen their immune response, as well as we can specifically target IL-6 using tocilizumab, which is an IL-6 inhibitor. Now, um, tocilizumab is not suspected to be uh, useful for the treatment of ICANS, since tocilizumab does not cross the blood-brain barrier and is not expected to be effective. Our patients that present with CRS most commonly present with very mild disease. With this, they may present with potentially a fever as well as nausea. This would be considered grade one. And then we are concerned that they may progress to a more advanced uh, stage where we would see potentially organ dysfunction as well as organ failure. It's important that 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 when a patient is receiving a bispecific, that we are aware of the potential catastrophic events that could occur so we could have proper monitoring in place. When we consider the risk factors that are associated with, TR or associated with CRS, we may consider the exact dose that they are receiving and where they are within their SIP-up dosing. We would want to consider other patient factors that may include uh, tumor, uh, total tumor burden, as well as the disease that we are treating as well as previous treatments that patients have received, such as lymphodepleting treatments uh, for CAR-T or stem cell transplants. We can see that CRS commonly presents on day two or two days after their most recent dose, but really can occur at any time. And it's important to keep this in mind if we ever do suspect CRS. We do see the highest rates within the multiple myeloma space. And these, and these events are most likely to occur during our first dose of SIP-up therapy. And with our lymphoma agents, we are most likely to see uh, CRS to present within our third step-up dose or our second, depending on the agent. There also is a risk of reoccurrence within these agents. There are various prophylactic measures that we can take to prevent CRS. As I mentioned, we utilize step-up dosing for all regimens that are specific to each agent. We can also consider using pre-medications. This table here I have um, outlines all of the recommendations from the package inserts. Uh, these include steroids, antipyretics, as well as a histamine blocker with diphenhydramine. And the overall uh, dosing and frequency of these agents depends on their particular bispecific that we are pre-treating for. A an additional method that uh, is used specifically with glofidumab is the use of obinutuzumab. Obinutuzumab is a CD20 is an anti-CD20 therapy that ultimately can deplete non-malignant B cells as well as um, occupy CD20 on both the on, on both malignant and non-malignant B cells with the goal to, to reduce the burden of disease prior to giving a bispecific. There is no concern or there, there is little concern with obinutuzumab uh, overall mitigating efficacy with our bispecific as it has a lower overall uh, lower affinity for CD20 compared to our bispecifics.
Now, the grading of CRS uh, that I have here is from the American Society of Transplant and Cellular Therapy Group. Uh, they, uh, they look at fever, which is seen in all grades of CRS, as well as the presence and severity of hypotension and the presence and severity of uh, respiratory needs. Uh, in grade one, as I mentioned, this is where we might see patients presenting with a fever as well as nausea. And then moving forward into grade four, where we may see more organ dysfunction or potentially organ failure. These are our critical care patients that we may see in the intensive care units. For the treatment of grade one, this, is, this can be a fun debate as it really varies between agents, institution, uh, provider preference, as well as, as well as our lack of guidelines. Um, for our specifically with our uh, multiple myeloma agents, we may utilize the RM SMART guidelines, which are specific to Mayo Clinic but are shared publicly. Uh, for the treatment of grade one, uh, we can perform uh, monitoring in the outpatient setting if rapid escalation is available. Uh, our treatment methods, as I mentioned previously, include steroids to overall dampen the immune response. This would be dexamethasone, as well as a cytokine blocking blocking agents such as tocilizumab. Uh, the use of these agents um, varies, as I mentioned, whether we use dexamethasone first or whether patients or whether providers wish to utilize tocilizumab uh, four hours after the patient has already received steroids. Or sometimes we may even consider using, using tocilizumab uh, upon initial presentation with CRS symptoms if the patients have already received steroids that day as part of their pretreatment um, or potentially even for early risk prevention. Uh, for grade two through four uh, CRS, we also utilize steroids and uh, tocilizumab, but these would be used um, around the clock and our steroids would be of a higher aggressive dose. If patients are not responding to these agents, we do have alternatives that we can consider. However, these are off-label use. There is uh, little to no data in the use of bispecific induced uh, CRS and the ideas of these agents have, have been extracted from CAR-T data. So we will not be discussing them any further today. Moving forward to ICANS. Now ICANS is a very severe form of neurotoxicity, as I mentioned. Um, the etiology of ICANS is uh, less understood than it is with CRS. It is suspected to be driven by a cytokine um, etiology overall. And what we can suspect with ICANS is that cytokines are infiltrating the CNS, ultimately crossing the blood-brain barrier, activating our microglia, and damaging our neurons. Patients that do present with, with ICANS may initially present with uh, altered mental status or even just fatigue, and our concern is that this would ultimately progress to potentially seizures or uh, complete inability to understand or function. One thing to be cautious of with ICANS is many of the symptoms that we may see with ICANS can overlap, overlap with other encephalopathies. And so if we are treating our patients, we may consider even holding to reassess, for, to reassess our symptoms. Now, our guidelines that are used to grade uh, to, are used to grade ICANS include the immune effector cell associated encephalopathy score that was developed by our ASCTC uh, guidelines. And with this, we can uh, overall assess um, altered mental status and include level of consciousness, uh, presence and severity of seizure, our motor findings, as well as potentially increased cerebral edema. The presentation of ICANS truly varies with each bispecific that we are looking at. This outlines the overall uh, onset as well as duration and um, 
as well as our uh, rates of neurotoxicity versus ICANs, as we've seen in literature. Similar to blinitumab, we also see in other agents that they have been reported as neurotoxicity as compared to ICANs, and this is simply due to um, the overall use of, uh, of our ICANs grading within the literature. When treating ICANs, we also use steroids. As I mentioned previously, we are not using tocilizumab for the pure treatment of ICANs um, due to the lack of efficacy. But uh, we also should consider using steroid prophylaxis with levetiracetam because patients are at an increased uh, seizure risk. For grade two through four ICANs, we, we will um, use more aggressive steroid therapy, incorporating methylprednisolone and using these around the clock, and then also continually monitoring our patients uh, for various complications of ICANs in case we need to provide more supportive cares. For ICANS grades two through four, this also needs to be completed in the inpatient setting. Now, moving to another toxicity that we see with bispecifics, tumor flare reaction is seen uh, with other immunotherapies and is quite a phenomenon. Um, it ultimately is the cause of an influx of T cells going into uh, tumor cells that results in inflammation of the tumor site. We have primarily seen this within our immunomodulatory therapies. And within the bispecific realm, we have seen this with uh, specifically with our uh, lymphoma agents. Clofidumab and mosentunizumab are the only agents that have tumor flare that have been reported in initial studies. Although this may change as we see, as we utilize bispecifics more for our uh, malignant seeds, as, there, as it may be theorized that there is risk in other, in other diseases that have extra medulatory disease um, or potentially increased tumor burden. The onset really varies among these agents, and the overall understanding of when we would suspect to see uh, tumor flare reaction um, is still unknown, and we should have a better idea as we utilize or as we um, have more patients to add to our data. Uh, the, when patients do present with tumor flare reaction, uh, we are likely to see overall inflame, inflammation and pain of the lymph nodes, fever, as well as rash. And those that are at greatest risk are those with a, with a high tumor burden or that are receiving high doses of their therapy. The treatment of, tu of tumor flare reaction truly depends um, on what we believe we are treating. It's important to consider that if we're seeing this inflammation of the lymph nodes, is this due to disease progression or is this due to the bispecific and overall influx of T cells? Before treating a patient, we should carefully consider what is occurring. Um, and uh, however, if we do decide to treat for tumor flare reaction at that point, we may consider steroids, but the risk of benefit should always be considered with using steroids in immunotherapy. Uh, the use of bispecifics is also currently being studied within our IMIDs or immuno immunomodulatory therapies. And there hasn't been reports yet. We don't have the data available to say that there in, is, is an increased risk or an additive risk in using these therapies together, but it may be theorized and only time will tell. Now, a very important toxicity that we need to consider with our uh, bispecific therapies is risk of infection. We have seen anywhere from 20 to 76% um, overall infection occurrence with our bispecifics in initial studies. And keep in mind that the use of antiprophylaxis uh, within the studies has been primarily provider dependent. When assessing for risk of infection with our bispecifics, we are considering both patient factors as well as our specific treatment factors. And some of these may include the patients carry a high tumor burden. 
what previous treatments have they received? Did they receive excessive lymphodepletion where we consider where we are um, where we would suspect that they will have prolonged neutropenia? Um, unfortunately, that the unfortunately the, the prophylactic recommendations are quite gray. And we do have some guidance from our NCCN guidelines and package inserts, but we also must really uh, depend on our own clinical judgment and, and overall expert consensus that we have. In regards to our incidence of infections, we have seen uh, high incidence with specifically within the multiple myeloma population. This includes our, our teclizumab, elranatumab, as well as telquetumab. We're also seeing high rates of overall neutropenia, as well as low IgG levels. Um, overall, the incidence is high, and then nextly, we can also see that there is an increased incidence within our other agents, but multiple, multiple, myeloma, multiple myeloma does have the highest risk. We can all, of our institutional uh, guidelines that we can rely on, we can see here that the package insert does commonly uh, ref, uh, defer to just standard guidelines, and within our NCCN guidelines, they do carry recommendations for blenitumab, mosinituzumab, as well as teclizumab in regards to infection risk. In these patients within the studies, we have seen infections um, of PJP or pneumocystis um, pneumonia, as well as bacterial infections, uh, in, uh, opportunistic fungal infections, and viral infections. With these, they do recommend using PJP prophylaxis as well as herpes zoster uh, virus prophylaxis as well. In 2023, so just recently, uh, uh, Experts got together, 12 experts within the multiple myeloma space and one in infectious disease that understood that there was poor guidelines for recommendations of uh, infection prophylaxis within bispecifics. And with this, they ultimately concluded based on the studies that, that all patients in the, that are receiving bispecifics for multiple myeloma should receive uh, both viral and PGP prophylaxis utilizing acyclovir as well as trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole or, or uh, Bactrim, as well as, or, or in replacement, we may use Dapsone as well as Atovaquone. In patients that are highly, or that are expected to be neutropenic, at this point, we might consider pentamidine for a greater coverage. Additional supportive cares that we can give our patients is if they become neutropenic or have low IgG levels. IgG immunoglobulin should be immunogamma globulin should be uh, tested every four or every month in these patients. And if these are low, this is where we may consider additional bacterial as well as fungal coverage, but are not routine. Additional supportive cares that we can give these patients is IVIG replacement as well as uh, repletion of their neutrophils. <laughs> so moving, let's go back to our patient case. So AC completes his third subepinosintelquetamab. He returns to the clinic for workup of, grace of, for workup of CRS. He is diagnosed with grade one CRS, grade zero ICANS. He appears to be neutropenic, anemic, thrombocytopenic, and his immunoglobulins have not returned yet, but he has historically always been above 400 milligrams per deciliter. So before leaving the clinic, what antimicrobial prophylaxis would you ensure that he is taking? A, acyclovir, Bactrim, levofloxacin, fluconazole. B, acyclovir, Bactrim, plus fluconazole. C, acyclovir, plus Bactrim. Or D, only acyclovir. The correct answer is A, acyclovir plus Bactrim plus levofloxacin plus fluconazole. As, he, as we can remember, AC was neutropenic, 
And so this puts him at increased risk of opportunist, opportunistic infections where he would need additional coverage for um, with, uh, with bevofloxacin for anti-pseudomonal coverage, as well as fluconazole for opportunistic fungal infections. B is incorrect as this does not include levofloxacin, which is recommended by the expert consensus in multiple myeloma. Um, a, uh, C is incorrect as this doesn't um, include any therapy for neutropenic prophylaxis. And D is incorrect because it does not include Bactrim, which is a standard, uh, standard prophylactic agent, regardless if he's neutropenic or not. So let's move into our last uh, toxicities, the last toxicity of bispecifics that we'll be discussing today. Now, this is unique to tilquetamab and has not been seen in any other therapies. And this is specifically due to the, the off-target of GPRC5D. And so with this, patients are at an increased risk of oral skin and nail toxicities. So GPRC5D is found in on our multiple myeloma cells, which are plasma cells, and they are highly uh, expressed in multiple myeloma. However, they are also found within our, within our healthy proliferating cells found within the skin, hair, nails, and with on, um, on the tongue. And so with this, there is an increased risk of, tar of targeting these cells um, and potential uh, damage and toxicity. So here on the left, we can see a case report of a 78-year-old male that received telquetamab. Uh, this was during his second week when he presented with toxicities to his hands and his feet with separation of nail from his nail bed and overall peeling on his on his hands and his or peeling of skin on his hands and his feet. Fortunately, he was able to continue uh, telquetamab after being treated with moisturizers as well as topical steroids and continues on treatment um, for his multiple myeloma. Now, as I mentioned, so targeting GPCR5D uh, can result in uh, skin and nail toxicity as well as oral toxicity. With this, there is quite a high incidence of these toxicities found within patients receiving telquetamab. Um, with skin and nail toxicity, these can be quite delayed, and the oral toxicity we would expect to see earlier on within therapy. All of these toxicities can be quite prolonged as we move forward within therapy um, and may not even resolve in some cases. Something to note about our oral toxicity is this can overall result in weight loss, which is seen in 30% of our patients. And common, uh, sympt or common symptoms or that you may hear from your patients may include uh, change in taste of things mm -hmm. tasting potentially even like cardboard or a dry mouth. Now, our, our treatment strategies with this is overall to uh, prevent worsening of these symptoms um, and to keep the cells or, or, or to keep our, our skin as well as uh, the mucosa um, well hydrated. And with this, with our skin and nail toxicities, we may utilize these strategies from the very get-go uh, before starting telquetamab. This may include ammonium lactate lotion as well as daily sun uh, protection and maintaining oral hydration. With our oral, toxicity, with our oral toxicities, we'd want to maintain good oral um, hygiene but one thing I'd really like to point out is this, is these patients are at an increased risk of infection as there may be skin breakdown within the mouth. And so making sure that we're always addressing for these. And then our management strategies would be primarily including or would primarily include um, uh, continuing our preventative strategies. In some cases, we may consider steroids, but utilization of steroids should always, um, prior to using them, a risk benefit should be assessed. For weight loss, there are no recommendations specifically from the manufacturer on um, how to mitigate this, 
But one consideration is that if patients are having substantial weight loss, refer back to your institution on what your thresholds are for stopping or holding or adjusting therapies if there is a significant weight loss. So let's return to our patient case. So AC returns to clinic for cycle two of telquetamab. He's tolerating therapy well, but reports peeling of, of his skin and discoloration to his skin. So what counseling points would you reinforce for AC? So the answer is D, all the above. Now, all these are very important counseling points. And the reason I say reinforce is all these uh, counseling points should be addressed with the patient prior to starting telquetamab. And when they return to clinic, ensuring that they are continuing these practices as we are uh, treating these toxicities. So we have covered quite a lot today with regards to our biospecifics and the potential complications that we can see with them. It's important to note that biospecific T-cell engagers truly are flooding the market, and we are bound to see an increased utilization of them. And with this, we are also bound to see uh, toxicities occur. Being able to identify and swiftly treat the toxicities is vital to allowing our patients to continue on these treatments that, are, that have been showing quite efficacious results in very difficult to treat diseases. Okay. Our toxicities can be significant. And, the, and for this, we discussed today CRS and ICANs, which can be quite catastrophic if not identified quickly. The risk of these toxicities are not equal with each of our drugs, as well as the diseases that we talked about, as we've seen an increased risk of infections, and other toxicities, specifically within the multiple myeloma realm, as this may be due to the disease itself. Our multiple, multiple myeloma agents do utilize REMS programs, uh, but our other agents so far have not. And keeping in mind that hospitalization may be required for some patients or potentially all patients, depending on the institution that they are being treated and monitored at. As, as practitioners, we can always refer back to our guidelines, but it's important to always con consider your own, um, ex uh, your colleagues' expertise, as well as your own experiences moving forward with managing these toxicities. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.